Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Dami. Tonight on Fast, records fall on Wall Street as stocks soar to new all-time highs. But it's the big move in the bond market that's got all of us talking tonight. We'll tell you what happened in bondland that hasn't happened since President Trump won the election. Plus, the one chart to play as stocks enter uncharted waters. From Gap to Zillow, slew of stocks making moves after hours today. We'll break down what is behind all that action. But we begin with the stock to watch tonight. That would be Disney. Shares are jumping after the media giant reported better than expected earnings. CNBC's Julia Borson just sat down with the CEO, Bob Iger, joins us now with the very latest. Julia. Melissa, that's right. Well, Disney beat revenue and earnings expectations, driven by success at the parks and the studio. The big news is about Disney's big bet on streaming with Disney Plus launching Tuesday. Bob Iger announcing in our interview that Disney Plus has a distribution agreement now with Amazon, Samsung and LG. That's in addition to other existing agreements with Apple, Google and others. Iger also announcing a new plan to bolster Hulu with FX. For the first time, FX will be creating original series for Hulu. In fact, we're going to start with four of them. There are four of them uh, in production now. And they'll be available on Hulu starting in probably late March. We're also going to um, enable viewers to watch uh, FX shows on Hulu soon after they have aired uh, on FX, just a few hours later. Iger announcing that ESPN Plus now has three and a half million subscribers. That's the addition of over a million over the course of the last quarter. Now, I asked Iger if all of Disney's investment in streaming threatens to cannibalize its core media networks business. We don't believe that what we're doing is really damaging our bread and butter, to, to use your words. Uh, what we really are doing is to, really a couple of things. First of all, we're giving consumers an opportunity to watch sports in new, sometimes considered more modern ways, um, more convenient ways. We're also establishing a path for us uh, to continued, basically, success or profitability should the initial or the, or the traditional business model be disrupted to such an extreme that it's a necessary transition that we have to make. Now, Disney's earnings call is going on right now, and the company's CFO just announced that protests in Hong Kong have led to a significant decrease in tourism, and they do expect operating income at Hong Kong Disneyland to decline about $80 million in the fiscal first quarter. That's this current quarter. Now, Iger said he's not focused on competition. We asked him if he subscribes to Netflix. He admits he does. Melissa, back (laughs) over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borson uh, in Los Angeles for us. Let's go to the man who owns Disney and also successfully fast-pitched Disney. Uh, so you're riding high tonight. The blind squirrel, as we say. Yeah. Um, but but the, the thing about Disney that got me so excited on that fast pitch was that this is a company that I want to own for four different reasons. Studio, parks and recreation, DTC or consumer products, and, and ultimately the streaming service and the media business. And, and this is something around the media business. We don't really know what 
blended multiple to apply to the company. But uh, when you look at Parks and Studio, uh, I mentioned that Studio is the gift that keeps on giving. So Studio drives Parks, and it drives it drives all the consumer products business. Whether that's driving, ultimately, uh, the streaming business, we'll see. Disney certainly has made uh, between that Amazon distribution deal and the fact that they've got every major distributor out there. And, and, and I would argue, who do you want to have? I would much rather have Disney than almost anybody else if I'm a major. If they had to choose one, I think they'd rather own Disney. So you look at the multiple, uh, you look at where this stock relative to the rest of the market. You know, you could have bought Disney today before this numbers if you were scouring and screening to see what hasn't run, what's a blue chip, what's a valuation. And I think you still can do that after these numbers. So these were great numbers. We didn't even learn anything about the streaming business, and yet we know that they're going to be in the thick of things. Right. What you mentioned was the flywheel effect. I mean, it's got that going right now. And theoretically, it should help the streaming <coughs> business as well. I mean, if it helps studios, it should help the sure that content, right. which will then be Create on the streaming service. Right, right. He does sort of just touch on the idea of uh, the cannibalization. of. It. He denies that that's, a, that's an issue, but it has to be an issue, right? I mean, ABC, Linear TV, that has to be... An issue, but good for them. You can either do something about it, which they absolutely are, right? They're absolutely addressing it. I, I kind of agree with Tim. I mean, the numbers were great, but it, it's up nicely. But it's not materially more expensive today with these no. earnings even up this much. Mm-hmm. Um, the story's still very much. I think the streaming stuff is really interesting. I listened to the whole interview um, that was on in the four o'clock hour. I mean, what was you know? He said they gained a million ESPN Plus subscribers. They have twenty-eight and a half million. Hulu subscribers. I think Hulu is a really important part of this direct-to-consumer bundle. This is also live TV, and it's one way um, for them to aggregate a lot of their content in a different sort of way. And I think that investors are willing to give Disney a pass, especially with those losses right now as they ramp this service. I don't think, and you know, expectations for Disney Plus are maybe five million by the end of the year. We know they just launched that deal with Verizon. Verizon has 150 million subs here, so that could be a very sticky thing. So I think you're probably going to see expectations for Disney Plus kind of ramp for 2020 and going back to your blended multiple you know if you looked at in the quarter the media revenue is about six and a half billion and direct to consumer is about half that so as long as they back to your cannibalization issue they keep growing that at a better clip start to reduce the losses there and i think you have a story where this stock is at new highs and not too distant future as tim pointed out in that Incredible power pitch. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The, the, All right. No, wait, what? The setup, oh, the setup the for the stock. For the fast <laughs> pitch, right. That one, is, that one was, <laughs> was really good That's as well. Good too, yeah. The setup was really interesting. You know, off from that 147 high back in July, traded down to 125, basically a 50% retracement of a move we saw from the spring. So the setup in earnings was really nice, number one. Number two, don't discount this ESPN thing. And I remember sitting on this desk now, it seems like two years ago, when Disney was a $99 stock and floundering, and then it was reported during our show that all of a sudden gambling's being legalized. That was a lifeline that ESPN needed. That's why people are flocking back to ESPN, because I'll tell you, not that I gamble on sports, but you're far more inclined to watch if you have money on a game than if you don't. And that's, I think, why ESPN is doing as well as they're doing now. What does it mean? Well, 147 and change was a high back on July 29th or so. That's your line in the sand. We need a close above there over the next week or so. I don't know if it gets there tomorrow, but I think that's your bogey. 25 times next year's earnings. You can make an argument, I think, to Karen's point. In this environment, maybe it's not that crazy expensive. With these earnings in the books, does that lessen the pressure on the launch next week of Disney Plus? I think so. And, and because we don't know what those numbers are. Remember, they gave us numbers. I think they said 7 million subs and then 24 million subs by the end of 2024. Um, we've all surmised here and tried to guess whether some of these distribution channels actually increase it and whether ESPN Plus is actually telling you you're going to be stronger. Um, 
I think they're getting the benefit of the doubt. In fact, it's interesting. The irony is that all the, as the competition heats up, it seems like everybody's getting a little bit, uh, you know, of a pass in the short run. In other words, look at Netflix. Um, despite the fact that you know it had a lot of pressure once these announcements were made, um, you've, you've arguably seen Netflix rally as competition has gotten a little bit tighter in the last month or so. Uh, the, the thing about Disney that that I just want, it's, maybe I've already said this, but I want to say it again. There's four businesses here that are all kicking it. Studio is up 52 percent. Operating income is up 72 is 72 percent. Um, overall, and, and that's a business that's a six and a half billion dollar business. Parks and resorts, six and a half billion dollar business. Uh, sorry, the media business, six and a half million dollar business. Uh, studio is about three and a half. Uh, and, and then if you look at the DTC, another three and a half. You have four large businesses that are all doing very well separately. And that's why I just think that this isn't just a media company. This is kind of a must own. We, you made the point yesterday that we might not know really the fallout of this for at least six months, maybe right. even longer as people start really looking at what the content offerings are and deciding how much they're going to pay for what. So right. at this point with Disney's run, I mean, that's a lot given we're not really going to know the numbers for yeah. a very long now time. That either it works to their benefit or not, right? Yeah. It depends on how the launch goes. I just think we don't have enough information to know. But to Tim's point, what we do know about the businesses that are not in as big flux, right? Everything's going really well. Though, you know, studios are very lumpy. They shouldn't get a huge multiple. To me, though, it all comes back to Netflix. How can Netflix be valued here when Disney's Disney's there, right? I just don't get it. Well, here's one, though, that I I go back to the parent of CNBC. Comcast is a cheap stock, trading 13 times next year's expected earnings growth of about 11%, 5% sales growth. I mean, to me, you think a lot of the dynamics that Disney is kind of keying on right now, this is stuff that Comcast has had in the works for a long time. I I mean, I think a lot of these stocks can work ex-Netflix. I think that we've seen North American subs decline, what, two quarters in a row now. They're at a price point. They just raised their prices earlier in this year. And Disney Plus, we know, is six bucks or something like that. And they're taking off all their content, and they're going to make it... Right there. I just think that one of the things that Disney will start to trade off of when this um, service launches next week, they're going to introduce this Mandalorian. It's a Star Wars show. John Favreau's a director. You cannot wait for I cannot wait for I it. Mean, every but, but, but think about, but, but think about it. This Favreau. is a six dollars a month service. You get all your Marvel, you get all your Lucas, you get all your Pixar, you get all your uh, Disney sort of stuff, and they're going to be branching out, doing a lot of the stuff that's just exclusive to their service. So, so Comcast is interesting, the parent yeah. company of this network, yeah. by the way, um, because they have theoretically the same pieces in place to create that same flywheel as Disney. Sure. Can it, though, create as strong and powerful a flywheel as Disney? At half the valuation, though, I mean, is it worth making that bet? I mean, Uh, it's half the valuation of Disney, effectively right here. Half the valuation of Comcast, by the way, is CBS, which has been floundering recently, bouncing off the bottom. So at a certain point, you play the valuation game. So I don't even know if in terms of Comcast, you need to know the answer. You just have to make the bet that Listen, we can all agree that Disney deserves the multiple they get, but should Comcast trade at half that multiple? Shouldn't they get a little bump in this environment? And then shouldn't CBS? And I can't wait for this mandolin rain. It's going to be <laughs> unbelievable when it comes out. I will you be. You and Dan can watch it together. I can only hope. Can Sharing you, Dan, will you do that? Will you? Yeah, we'll do that. It'll be fun. Uh, our next guest knows a thing or two about media as a former executive of both Hulu and Netflix. Let's bring in SPG's Simon Gallagher for his take on Disney's quarter. Simon, great to have you with us. Great to be on. It sounds like you're more concerned about the decline in its legacy business and the ability of the new business to sort of offset that. Yeah, look, I think so. You're looking at the Disney Plus business not necessarily turning a profit until 2023. Uh, It's still a long way out, and the rapid decline of the broadcast uh, and the network and the broadcast networks and also the pay TV channels, it's happening very rapidly. And I'm not sure that the Disney Plus business is going to 
lift the numbers fast enough uh, to offset that decline. But eventually, do you think they will? Uh, look, they're predicting some very big numbers. I think that uh, uh, Disney has always had a great business, but do I think it, it can? Look, I'm not sure. I, look, I'm very optimistic. What Disney now is, though, with the Fox acquisition is, is this really global business. I, I love the fact that they've acquired Hotstar in India as part of the Fox acquisition. So there's some new businesses coming into the fray that I think... Uh, uh, maybe the analyst community hasn't looked at too deeply that, that may start to see them re-rate Disney a little bit. Hey, Simon, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. Uh, but, and I'm not asking you to play trader, but we talk about Netflix all the time, and we just talked about Netflix, where there is no profitability. There's a major cash burn, and people and investors ha- have been willing to give the company the benefit because they're banking on uh, essentially this distribution and, and effectively a, certainly a leadership in terms of uh, that pipeline. Talk about that and bring it back to Disney, which doesn't necessarily for the market have to be profitable on that core business right now. Sure. Netflix, I think, and I said this last time I was on the network, are very clever about bringing down that P.E. ratio. It's, I think, 92 today, and I think you're going to see that P.E. ratio come down over time. Uh, Reed Hastings yesterday on, on, on DealBook and on the network uh, was heard to say, we're going to continue to spend, but I think they're going to continue to spend sensibly. Uh, so they will still spend a lot of money on high-profile shows, but they're getting smarter and smarter about the volume of shows that they need. And, and some assets, they can, they can curate the, the roster, so to speak. So they can bring down what shows are not necessarily performing for them and spend more on, on other shows. So you have to, I was thinking about in preparation for the show today, I was thinking, would you rather be managing a declining broadcast and pay TV business at Disney or would you rather be trying to manage to bring your PE ratio down in Netflix? Uh, and uh, it's, it's an interesting challenge at both businesses. Simon, th- <coughs> excuse me, thank you very much for your time. It's great to have you. Luck. Thank you. I, I'm so happy that he plays Would You Rather. You yeah. can do it at so, home. Would You Rather. Holy cow. At home. It's awesome. I think it's a, it's a good sign. Groundbreaking television <laughs> yeah. here, Fast Money. Why are you looking at What's well, that the, face? So, I, <laughs> no, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, I, I think look, here's the issue. They have no choice. They have a declining media business. And so why is Bob Iger still in the CEO seat? They've made some huge bets over the last few years as he's extended out his tenure and he's going to see this thing out. So it's going that way one way or another. And, and I suspect that we're not done seeing consolidation among media assets. We, you, know, you know what I mean? Like there's probably more for them to buy. They're going to probably buy an EA or something like that. Let's really broaden out all of this content, right? and be a one-stop shop on multiple mediums. So that's, I suspect, the bet that's going to be going on for Disney for decades. All right. Coming up, Gap shares plunging after announcing CEO Art Peck is leaving the company. We'll find out what is next for the retailer. Plus, the 10-year yielding its biggest gain since the 2016 election. And that's got one top technician putting his faith back into one sector. He'll tell us what it is. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link 
your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following a developing story on Gap in the after-hour session. That stock is down about 6% on news that CEO Art Peck is stepping down. Courtney Reagan's at the NYSC with the details. Hey, Court. Hi, Melissa. This was a bit of, the, of a surprise to the market. At least we didn't get any indication that this was going to happen. CEO Art Peck is stepping down from Gap Inc., which means he will not be leading sort of the Remain Co. company with Gap, Banana Republic, and Athleta once the old Navy division does spin out, which is expected to happen by 2020. And in this release, Gap also giving us some guidance on the third, the third quarter, saying comps are down 4%. The street had expected them to be down but just 2.2%. Also saying third quarter earnings will be in a range of 34 cents to 36 cents adjusted. The street was looking for 55 cents. The full year guidance also pretty far below what the street is looking for. The CFO cites macro impacts, slower foot traffic, also pressuring results that were further hampered by product and operating challenges. CEO Art Pack actually just speaking here in New York uh, recently, just at the very end of October, at the WWD conference talking about sustainability, not giving any at least public indication that this was happening. Shares are down 6%, but again, a combination of the guidance and Peck stepping down. He became CEO in February of 2015. He has been with the company since 2005 and has held a variety of different positions. He's led digital. He's led the outlet. Um, he led Gap North America. So we'll see what happens here with the company in the interim. Robert Fisher, who is a non, the non-executive chairman of the board, will be taking over. So there is no permanent successor that has been named at this point. Back over to you. Thank you very much, Courtney Reagan, with the details on Gap. Uh, you know, when I heard this news, I turned to Karen. I said, why is he going to step down before the company separates? And you said, probably a lousy quarter. You're, you hit the nail on the head. So uh, another blind squirrel. This is the blind squirrel <laughs> side. But I think, you know, the stock is really, really cheap, but it deserves to be really, really cheap. They've been sort of meandering and had a really tough time. I think the spin of Old Navy is probably the right thing to do. I don't think you need to touch it. I mean, we've got to wait. We've got to see who they get. And then there's, if they get somebody great, the stock will trade up. If they get somebody okay, whoever the person is, they'll come in and they'll do a kitchen sink quarter, right? right. Mark it down as so much more as they can. more ahead. I think so. I think there's just better places to be. Or maybe they don't get anybody. They let the interim keep going and they sell the thing off. That's possible. They're not selling from a position of strength. To who? But, right, right, true. Right. I don't know. No, but I it depends know. on the price. I guess it just depends on the price. It, it's interesting. On a day when Ralph Lauren was up, I don't know, uh, 15%, and another brand that seems like it's left for dead, maybe we'll talk about that later in the show. But I think you have a case, if you took a look at L Brands, you look at a couple other brands that were legacy brands um, that have been struggling to find their way because the core cash cow has suddenly run out of gas at a time when uh, the entire distribution model is probably broken to online. So remember this guide, the third quarter guide. So they report on November 21st, I think. That's two, two weeks. I can do that math in my head. So just remember, 34 cents to 38 cents, because to Karen's point, I bet you they guide lower off the guide lower, and that could be catastrophic. Fifteen and a half was the low we saw, I think, in July. And in terms of the foot, Yogi Berra, they asked him about a restaurant years ago. I, was, I happened to be uh, in the yes. interview, and Karen knows what I'm going to say. <laughs> you know, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Right. Well, nobody goes to Gap anymore. <laughs> 
It's not, that's, it's not about being crowded. <laughs> it's just right. the way to go. So that's the yeah. point. I mean, so you, I think you got to wait and see on the 21st. I think it trades down to 15 and a half. It's funny. So you're talking about retailers that are brands. Um, you know, the, the uh, department stores are kind of interesting here. You know, we're going to get their reports in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be before Black Friday. Like Macy's. In a good way? Well, yeah, but like, look at this. Hold on. Because uh-huh. you have been as outspoken against department stores as being dead on arrival yeah. than anybody. Well, here's the thing. Macy's, right. Macy's is a great example. I mean, Nordstrom's is up 50% from its, um, it, you know, it's 50 Two week lows and Macy's is up 15%. It is DOA. I mean, the thing is stuck in a range here, but you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, U.S. Steel prior to their earnings last week. This was a stock that was also down 50 so percent from the 52 week highs. Sentiment was so bad. They don't even have to say anything good for the stock to go up. They just don't have to say anything bad. And we're kind of in a market here where we're making incremental new highs now every single day, 30 bips here on the S&P or whatever. Sooner or later, you're going to look for things to kind of play some catch up. And we're seeing that. We saw it in energy. We're seeing it in some of these material stocks. You might see it if, if the consumer data is increasingly better. Why wouldn't you take a shot on some of these things? Well, guys, bad Yogi Berra joke would yeah. probably it's apply not to me. It's not well. Yogi Berra's the best. Sorry. It feels like deja vu all over again yeah. next time you say that, by the way. But, but, but if you think about... Macy's and U.S. Steel, I think the thing that's the most aligned is, is balance sheet issues. When people talk about Macy's, a lot of times they're talking about what they have to do because of the balance sheet. They're certainly doing that at U.S. Steel. So any relief on the balance sheet is important. Well, there's a lot more fast money ahead. Um, that's uh, concerning retail here. We've got a big move today coming up. We'll break down the big move higher on the high end as well. Here's what we've got uh, coming up on the docket. Major moves in the bond market as stocks climb to new highs. We'll break down one sector that has been leading the rally. Plus, putting the bling back in the luxury space. We'll look at one stock that's leading the charge today. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money Markets. Soaring today as stocks hit fresh at record highs, but it was the move in bonds that was staggering the yield on the 10-year, seeing its biggest single-day jump since President Trump was elected back in 2016. The big move following back-and-forth reports that the U.S. and China plan to phase out some tariffs. So, uh, what do you think? It felt like the mark, the equity side of the markets were a little bit skeptical of those headlines from the very beginning. Again, the volatility in the bond market, if, if, if we saw half the volatility in the equity market that we see in the bond market, it would be headline news every day, 24-7. It's remarkable, these moves. I mean, the 10-year yield seemingly a couple weeks ago was 150. Now it's north of 190. That percentage-wise is incredible. I think volatility in the bond market of this magnitude is not a healthy sign. 
equity market clearly sees something else. But I thought 180 sort of was the line in the sand for a reversal back lower. Now we're significantly above it. I think Dan's going to probably tell you something around two and a quarter percent, and then is when the equity market starts to get worried. Are you going to say something? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm just a dumb stock jockey, but I- I'll just tell you this, that the, the markets didn't love when rates were going lower this right. summer too much, and they're not going to love it if they go up too fast, too. I don't know what the number is, whether it's 2% was the breakdown in the 10-year Treasury yield that I think right. that people really wanted to see kind of hold early in the summer. So I just don't know. I, I, you know, with the stock market making new highs every day, if we see rates go up too quickly, I think that becomes is, a problem. Isn't it a good sign that we've kind of held, held on in the equity side despite the I, big move? I think so. I never understood the, oh, I hope we have bad data so the Fed continues to cut so then the economy can improve. I'd rather just have the economy improve, which seems to be what's happening. So I think it's a good sign until it gets... Uh, far higher than here, I think. There's no question it's a good time. And, and if you look back where we were even on October 3rd, the day we, we really kind of rallied the entire market, we've now gotten almost 9% on the S&P in 25 sessions since then. Um, bond yields were kind of in the 150s or getting you know, somewhere down near there. There's no question we were seeing a deflationary low growth spiral, and that was part of it. But think about uh, some of this has totally coincided with a Fed that has jacked up its balance sheet again. And again, I'm talking about stealth QE, which you can't deny um, is happening. We're over $4 trillion on the Fed's balance sheet. We've now cut three times in a row. Um, you know, are we still reliant on the Fed here? But I think in the short run, that bond move was somewhat dependent upon what was going on in European yields. And if you look at bond yields and JGB yields, they're right now maybe more important. They are both up 70% off of their lows, and I think they are driving U.S. Treasuries. All right. Well, the monster move into the bond market having some impact on the financials and one top technician's doubling down on his bullish bank bet. Let's get to Chris Veronis to see this. He's over at the Plasmas to break it all down. Hey, Chris. Hey, Mel. And listen, I think we have to start with what kicked off this entire move and that's the uninversion of the yield curve. This is U.S. 2s and 10s, so 10-year yield minus 2-year yield. This is the low, negative 5 basis points on August 27th. I think the irony, late August, recession talk is pervasive. The PMI had just printed sub-50. That is when this move towards financials and cyclicality uh, really began. So now we have a choice here. We have banks up 22% since late August. Are we going to take profit or are we going to press? And I think we press here. And I'm going to give you a couple names where there's more to go. Citigroup, obviously a bellwether. But let's just go back and think about the history here. This is a stock that doubled off the 16 lows. We then had a 40% drawdown over the last two years. It is just beginning to come out of this base. We got up through that key 73 level. I think the next near-term target's 86. I think longer term, this is a $100 name. Goldman Sachs, one of the brokers. Another name, it's had a bear market, down 47% over the last two years. Again, starting to bottom here, just broke out above that 222 level. I think tactically, 250 is the name there. And then lastly, and we almost feel dirty saying it because it's been such a bad stock for so long, but even the European banks quietly acting better. This is Deutsche Bank. I think we're near resolution. We've been this little wedge here. For the last number of weeks, we think ultimately this one breaks out. The one number that I want to give you here, there are 30 analysts that cover DB. Only one of them has a buy on it. Extremely out of consensus. The chart is getting better. Its peers around the world are improving. The curve continues to steepen. B-long banks double down. All right, Chris, come on over. I mean, no question about Chris, right? Can we just say something about Will, who's bringing the chair as Chris comes up? He cracked his head the other night, bleeding, bleeding into yeah. staying on the show, Staples in his head, 
And he's like, still for here. Real staples. We're for real staples. staples. Players play hurt. Ouch. <laughs> um, all right. Deutsche Bank. Yeah. So do you think, so is it Deutsche Bank specifically, or does Commerce Bank also have a light at the end of the tunnel? Well, I think what's interesting, when you look at that part of the world, I'd even put Japan in this camp. All the dirtiest banks, right, the ones that have been terrible for two years, all turning here as well. Deutsche Bank can go 7 to 10. It's a 30% rally. Now, this was a $30 stock a few years ago, right? But these moves, I think, are just beginning. Look at the Japanese banks. They've all started to turn uh, here as well. Unicredit. Uh, also turning. So this is a group move. And the garbage names tend to go up the most uh, when that's the case. So in a game of would you rather, Mm. would you choose U.S. banks or European banks? I think ultimately we're people who play for duration and time horizon. Citigroup, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America are still best of breed charts. That is where we play structurally. Okay. Um, The move in the bond market also has implications on the the dividend yielding stocks, and we've seen that play out a little bit. So what are you seeing in terms of um, where that trade goes. I mean, is the, is the air gone from that trade? I, I think what's so remarkable, bring your mind back to late summer. It was August. The recession talk was pervasive. The yield curve had just inverted. The PMI had just broken 50. And then all of a sudden, you start to see this move towards cyclicality, right? So we had 13, 14 months of lower interest rates. There's a stimulative effect to that. And there's all different corners of the world that are starting to price that in right now. And that's at the expense of those very high P.E., utilities, staple stocks. I don't think those are done correcting. I think there's a move towards cyclicality. I think it's just beginning, and you want to use any weakness to get bigger there. So this is, you're talking about the beginning of an overshoot to the upside, and you mentioned 85, I think, in terms of city, which I I guess you can make an argument for, but are they going to just catch up to where J.P. Morgan is valuation-wise, or does J.P. Morgan sort of rise along with them? I mean, I, I think what's notable when we talk about J.P.N., this is the only U.S. bank at an all-time high, right? it's the highest level it's ever been. It spent two and a half years going nowhere. I think the message here is don't get too cute. These breakouts are two or three weeks old. Press them here. All right, Chris, thank you. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Chris Verone. What are you buying, European or U.S. Well, banks? that's interesting. So if you want the European banks, look at that EUFN, which is a European bank ETF, which is, is basically only begun to fight. Again, as Chris pointed out, they have just started to run. And who is more levered to higher interest rates? than The European banks have been destroyed by the ECB. They may have been bailed out, but they've also been destroyed. So I think that's interesting. And I would just say the rest of the world trade is also significantly outperforming the U.S. EM's outperformed uh, by about 6.5%. The DAX, in local terms or in dollar terms, has outperformed by about 7 since October. Are you feeling better about banks? I feel like since you feel better about retail names, maybe you also feel better about Listen, banks. Listen, I said a few weeks ago, and I did it on Options Action, I said J.P. Morgan's breaking out and, you yeah, know, and just buy calls. Morgan specifically. And, and I, and no, but I've also been saying, like, listen, when you look at those technicals, take the name off of it, and you look at the environment, and you look at the market sentiment, say, yes, they should break out, and they should continue to go. I just don't, I, you know, I can't put my finger on the fundamental drivers. I want to make one point on the TLT, because this was one of my final trades last week. Um, I actually think that rates probably see in the 10-year, they probably see some resistance at 2%. If you look at the chart of the TLT, it's been in this nice uptrend. It just literally bounced off of it today at 135. That was also the breakout level at July 31st. So to me, I think TLT looks like a decent setup if you think the rate run has kind of come to an end or see some resistance. And that is some cheap fall if you want to play it through options. There's a free OA for you right there, people. Well, bonus. Free OA. Right. The we money have a regular OA later. Free OA is good OA. Cheap. Wow. wow. Yeah.
good stuff. Coming up, it wasn't just Disney out with earnings Dropbox. Zillow on the move after their reports. We'll give you the highlights from their calls. And Alibaba gearing up for Singles Day, the world's biggest made-up shopping bonanza. <laughs> Options traders see more love for Baba in the cards. We'll break it all down. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings whip on some after-hours movers. Dropbox and Zillow on the move after reporting. Deidre Bosa standing by on Dropbox. We begin with Diana Olick, who is covering Zillow. Diana. Well, Melissa, it was a really solid beat for Zillow. Q3 consolidated revenue more than doubled year over year. That sent the stock up 10% in after hours. And that was driven by outperformance in the premier agent segment and improved margin in Zillow's advertising business. Now, the ad business is profitable, but the new iBuyer business is not. Zillow's currently using that traditional advertising and website business to fund its new home buying and selling business. The iBuyer segment, which investors have been watching very closely, saw revenue of $384 million that's a 55% sequential increase from Q2. I mean, in Q3 of last year, it reported just $11 million in revenue from that segment. During Q3, Zillow offers purchased over 2,200 homes, sold over 1,200, ending the quarter with 2,822 homes on its balance sheet. It launched in eight new markets in Q3 and will expand to Los Angeles by the end of this year with plans to be in 26 markets by 2020. This kind of growth from a standing start may not be unique, but it is certainly rare. And was our hope to not just get, and it, and, and it was our hope to not just get on the field in this big, exciting consumer category, but to become the team to beat. Now, Zillow also launched a new flex pricing plan for its agents where they only pay a fee after the deal is closed. It's being tested in a few markets. Outside of those markets, though, premier agent revenue grew 3% year over year. And Zillow also saw very strong 19% revenue growth in its rental listings business. We all know how hot that rental market is. Back to you guys. Diana, thank you. Diana Olick in Washington for us on Zillow. It's interesting because that very segment of the business where they're buying and selling homes themselves and having to carry the homes on the balance sheet, that is the part of the business that was strong in this quarter. That's yeah. what attracted a lot of shorts in the stock. I think it should attract a lot of shorts. It went from a very asset light high margin right, business right. to a very asset heavy low margin business. That doesn't quite make sense Linked to me. Linked to the economy. Right. So, and, and, totally cyclical. And we had yeah. Steve Eisman on. Remember, this is a, a, right, a short right. of his and he talked about why it, it's not a monolith of it's all these tiny different markets that one needs to get up to speed in. I, I don't get it. There's a big short interest here. I think it's about 7%. 24. Oh, I think oh. I had 24. Correct okay. me if that's wrong. Um, but so any beat, you know, you're going to see some pain here. But I don't love that part of the business at all. Yeah, this was a, a bounce back type of a print for a company that's so well documented here on the short side. I, I do think that there is still cyclicality to this business. I think um, at some point interest rates are an issue. They're not here. Existing home sales, though, have gotten a bit of a bump here on, on interest rates. And I think the cyclicality that they added to their core business model makes zero sense. And that's not where you want to be. I think you're asking yourself, where do you put a short back out? I mean, this was a $51 stock this summer that cratered. I think it traded down to 28 29 So now you have to start to do the math. Like, what are the shorts? Are they going to cover here? Some of them probably will. I would imagine Mr. Eisman would probably layer back in. But I think the real level, if you're so inclined, 40 or so would be a 50% retracement of that high this summer and the low we recently saw. I think the play is to let the shorts cover, get out, Hope it trades up to 40, then layer in another short position. All right, we've got a news alert for you. The race for president may soon be getting a little more crowded. Elon Moy's got this breaking news. Elon. Melissa, NBC News has now confirmed that Michael Bloomberg is preparing to enter the Democratic presidential candidacy. 
The New York Times had reported earlier that he was expected to file paperwork in Alabama sometime this week. That state does have an early filing deadline. But the New York Times did caution that that still doesn't mean he is 100 percent certain that he will run. It just means that his campaign could potentially be increasing how serious it is about entering this field. Now, obviously, if he does enter, that could change the dynamic of this race. This race has been defined by the debates over the economy, over wealth, over the ways that businesses have amassed corporate power. Michael Bloomberg, of course, billionaire businessman, former mayor for New York. And again, NBC News now confirming that he is preparing to enter this race. Back to, back to you, Melissa. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy in D.C. How does this change the race? If you are a moderate Democrat, uh, particularly one who works in this business that we are all associated with, I would imagine this is a very viable alternative to what is currently out on 100%. the market. 100%. I mean, if, if Karen did a little cheer before during the commercial break, and I understand why. I mean, I think he sees an opportunity, given some of the polarization that's going around, given some of the in Scott Wapner's interview he was probably watching. He said, you know what, maybe I have a shot here. Maybe there's an entry point. Makes sense. I don't know what he's gunning for, because I don't know if ultimately he can be the president or get elected, but I think this really changes the dynamic. Well, what I think he's trying to do is, like, listen, you know, who has kind of caught a lot of steam over the last couple of months? It's been Warren and it's been Bernie, yeah. and they're not something that is going to bring the middle in in a general election. So what, what Bloomberg can do is kind of bring this back a little bit more towards the center, at least on the Democratic side, and that this is a question we've been hearing a lot. What does it mean for the markets if Warren is, you know, the, so I, I think it helps. I, yeah, no, I, I, it yeah. should be good news. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's all you're doing is you're setting up uh, a, a middle, more middle-of-the-road playing field for markets, which, um, like, whatever you want to say, we went from a pendulum that went this way to a pendulum that went this way in terms of regulation versus not regulation. Say what you want about, about political ideology, because some of it's very confusing today. But I'll say this. Um, if you get a centrist candidate for a market that expects some type of change, that's going to take a lot of the edge out of next year's tension, at least on the overall. We know that there are certain sectors that are going to come under particular duress. Um, and, and let's be clear, this banking sector that's off and running is off and running because there is zero regulation out there right now. I'm not saying banks are bad guys either. I'm, I'm just telling you relative to the environment, relative to the environment yeah, that they had been zero in. regulation. Well, I, I think mean, there's, there's a lot, lot of regulation. There's a lot of there's compliance. Lot of there, look, there's, there's a lot of rules. There's a lot of compliance. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley. There's a lot of, you know, necessary uh, governance around it. But I, I don't think that there's an incredible amount of push on banks uh, to say, get out of the game, where I think that was the predisposition of the other administration. All right. Uh, let's get back to earnings here. Turn to another stock moving in the after hours. Dropbox, it is lower by a percent on its report. Deidre Bose is in San Francisco with the details. Deidre. Hey, Melissa. Well, shares have been bouncing around since the results hit, and they still are. So bear with me while I tell you what's happening on the call. Shares moved into positive territory after CFO Ajay Vashi revised up their full-year full revenue guidance range. Those after-hour gains pushing Dropbox slightly above that IPO price of $21. But the backdrop here is that Dropbox hasn't really gone anywhere since going in public in March of 2018. The key has been paid user growth, and it hasn't been as strong as the street has hoped. So the company has been undergoing 
undergoing a reinvention this year. It's moving further into cloud services. It revamped its desktop app, partnered with the likes of Slack and Zoom, and it is still focusing on getting more enterprises onto its platform. On the call, CEO Drew Houston said that they are seeing early success from what he called the new Dropbox. He said millions of people have used that since its launch. The Q&A portion getting underway. No surprise, analysts are asking about engagement. Shares, I should note, turned red again a few minutes ago, and they're down now as execs said that they're expecting slightly lower paid user growth over the next few quarters. Back to you. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco. Dan. Yeah, so, I mean, Deidre just said it. This was a March 2018 uh, IPO. There was still a lot of optimism about these sorts of cloud-based businesses. Here's the problem. This is a revenue base that's only growing like 15% a year, and on a gap basis, they lose money on their um, sales of $1.6 billion expected this year. So it's just not that exciting of a story. That's why this thing is watched out. And they didn't really give you anything there to say that things are changing. All right. Coming up, luxury stocks seeing some rich gains lately. Mm. We'll tell you which names could bring a shine <laughs> to your portfolio. Plus, Alibaba gearing up for the Super Bowl of shopping. A singles day gets ready to kick off. We'll tell you how options traders are betting on this big event. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks hitting new all-time highs today after China said it reached an agreement with the U.S. to roll back some tariffs. And that news could not have come at a better time for Chinese retail giant Alibaba. Singles Day, the world's biggest online shopping event, is coming up this Monday. And with the stock jumping higher today, options traders are betting even more gains are on the horizon. XP Investments Managing Director Bonwin Eisen is over at the Plasma to break down the action. Bonwin, welcome. What are you seeing in terms of the action? So let's hop right into it. As you said, Singles Day next week, we see how the market is shaping up. So as you can see, with option volume, calls outpace puts almost three times to one. Not a shocker. This stock has been on an absolute tear. Let's take a look at what the um, at the money straddles are implying. You can see here that the Nove straddles are implying about a 3% move in either direction between now and next week's expiration. I'd like to dive in a bit deeper into this implied volatility and see if we can identify some trends and opportunities. All right, so what we have here is short-term implied volatility over the last six months. And what you can see is that we've sold off pretty aggressively. And right here, post-earnings, we've really sold off. All right, this, this area right here presents a real great opportunity for us to get in and get long some options at a discount. Let's take it a step further, keeping that in mind. What we have here for you is a stock chart. And there's two trends at play here. The first being, well... We have a a short-term uptrend that's been extremely aggressive here. Secondly, what we have is a long-standing resistance level around this $180 level, which has been in play for some time. We've continued to test this time and time again and have just recently broken through with some real velocity here, real options volume, real stock volume as well. So taking all this into account, how do I like playing it? Well, if you think this trend continues, what I like buying is a November at-the-money calls. Your cash outlay is about a percent and a half, putting your break even well within striking distance of where the stock is currently. That's why I'm playing it. All right, Bonoan, great to see you. Thank you, Bonoan Eisen of XP Investments. Dan? Really good trade setup. I mean, he identified a catalyst there. He's telling us that the price of options are really cheap. And then the technical setup it has not been able to break out above that level. So the fact that you can risk one, one and a half percent over the next week and a half with that catalyst, that looks like a really good trade setup to me. All right, for more options action, full show Friday, tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Mm. Eastern time. Up next, shares of Ralph Lauren racking up some big gains on its earnings results. We'll tell you what drove the quarter. Plus, take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim's got the need for speed. He's laying out who the real winners are in the race to 5G. We're live at the Nasdaq and Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead.
Uh, it's raining. Oh. Everybody have an umbrella? <laughs> Guy, you have yours? I do. Storm dud. Yeah, that's what we lovingly call them. Galoshes. Um, welcome back to Fast Checkout. Shares of Ralph Lauren racking up some big gains, posting its best day since last May on the back of earnings. Ralph Lauren is one of the retailers, luxury retailers, that's been shining of late. Checkout shares of Tiffany, Capri Holdings, Tapestry, all beating the broader market over the past month. So should investors be looking to luxury to bolster their portfolio? At any one time, Karen, I feel like you've owned a few of these yes, names. Yes, probably. And I do now. I mean, Ralph Lauren, which is one that I don't own today, uh, up a lot. I thought it was up actually more than I would have expected given what they announced, which was fine. I mean, you know, we saw some better pricing that's good, some better pricing in their outlets. North America was good. Asia, uh, weaker, but, you know, that's not specific to them at all. Obviously, anyone, Hong Kong exposure and the general China tariff situation. So uh, it was a great quarter relative to if you have a low bar, I guess. Um, so the stock here is sort of okay. Not great in terms of the relative value, I look at something like Capri, which is Michael Kors, Versace, and Jimmy Choo. Clearly, it would seem they paid way too much for Versace, but that's old news already and priced in. They announced yesterday the stock was, I don't know, down 28 cents or so, and today seemed to react like, oh, if Ralph Lauren trades at 15 times earnings, maybe we shouldn't trade at six and three quarters times earnings. That's sort of surprising to me that it continues to trade here. A lot of the things that helped Ralph we're working in cores as well. Michael Kors itself did better. So I, I don't understand that discrepancy. One thing I do own is new, that is new is Tiffany. And I bought it after Louis Vuitton uh, made their bid. I bought it yesterday when, when uh, Tiffany said, we don't think it's enough. Right. As opposed to, we're not for sale. That's a right. very different message. It's sort of, well, we know what we're you open. are now. It's just yeah. a question of price. I think it has to be something close to 140, uh, just because it did trade near there. I, I, and trophy properties always get sold. A premier name like this, you don't get that many tries at it. And I, I think Louis Vuitton will pay what they have to. Haven't we seen this trend around the world in terms of luxury retail doing sure have. pretty well, carrying LVMH? The, Good quarters. If, if, if trade is back on, uh, you, you're going to certainly see that. You're also going to see it at the expense of the big box retailers and staples. We talked about it. I think those, the, this rotation is, is extremely negative for those companies. I would leave it at that. Up next, final trades. Should we do frontmen or should we do final trade? Frontmen. <laughs> frontmen are very interesting. Go final to Twitter trade, if yeah. you want to know what we're talking about. Final trade. U.S. Steel on the move with other high leverage stocks in this environment. Chairman. Yeah, we're, we're lost, but we're making good time. Uh, Capri, CPRI. I like it. Relative to Ralph, very cheap. I'm throwing any veteran into the mix here. Um, no, I think Square actually did what they needed to do. They kind of put a bottom in here. I like it with a 60 stop. We missed Hi. your birthday, and I feel uh, awful about it. So happy awful. belated birthday, happy Melissa. It's bad. Birthday. <laughs> CBS, however, I think yeah. can go higher on all the noise we're hearing in this industry. It was Monday, by the way. Yeah, I know. Yes. Oh. See you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer is up next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.